Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. You guys ready to get in the Word? Let's do it. If you're ready to get in the Word, why don't you go with me? Uh, let me read this verse of scripture to you first over in Proverbs chapter 29. This is, this is sort of our, our theme scripture for, for this, this whole collection. And it's in Proverbs chapter 29. I love the way Eugene Peterson, he said it in the message. He said, if people can't see what God is doing, if people can't see what God is doing, look at this. What do they do? They stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Uh, you've probably heard this in a, an older translation. It says, without vision, people cast off restraint. But when they attend to God's word, when they obey his word, then they live a blessed life. We just believe, I, I love the way that, that Eugene Peterson says it, because we do believe this, that God has a vision for our life. He has a crystal clear vision for every single one of our lives. And when you don't have vision, um, you will cast off restraint. In other words, you'll do whatever life kind of throws at you. You'll go in any direction. But when you have vision, you can have focus and you you can get somewhere on purpose. How many of you know that everyone ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose? Vision helps you go in a specific direction, taking step after step after step so you can intentionally uh, land in a place where you've always desired to be. God's desire is that we not only have vision for our life, but that we have his vision for our life. That's why one translation quotes it like this, says, without prophetic vision. Prophetic simply means it's divine, it's from God. God gives it to you. Without prophetic vision, people just cast off restraint, they do whatever they want. And Eugene says that they actually stumble through life. I don't know if you've ever been in that place in your spirituality or just in your life where you had no vision and you felt like you didn't, you didn't know what the next step was. You didn't know which job to take. You didn't know where you should move. You didn't know what church you should be a part of. You didn't know if he's the one or she's the one. And, and you just, you're, you felt like you're kind of either stuck or you're stumbling. Here's what I'm here to tell you, that when you get God's vision for your life, you can take step after step after step after step. And, and listen, it, it's not just a leap of faith. People just call it a leap of faith. It's, I think it's just a walk of faith. It's step after step. And there's times when God calls you to jump and to take a big leap. But what I've discovered, those are outliers in our life. What he calls us to every single day is to pick up our cross and to follow him step after step after step. And we got to get a vision for where it is that he wants to take us. I love how one of the, uh, the psalmists said it like this in Psalm 16, talking about this path that we're on, this, this journey that we're on. He said, you, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. God, you, you make known the path of life. When scripture talks about the path of life all throughout it, it's talking about the life that God intends for you. And he says, he said, God, you, you make it known to me. I, how many of you are thankful that God doesn't keep us guessing in the dark? Like we don't have to wonder, God, what do you want me to do? God wants us to know what he wants us to do more than we even want to know it. Like that's how good God is. God wants to guide us and direct us. He's not like, oh, okay, uh, you're born and you just figure it out. And then there's some people that think they're spiritual. They say, well, he didn't just do that. He gave us a Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. That is so cheesy, okay? If you've ever said that, uh, there's, uh, we'll provide counseling for you, okay? But, um, but that's, that, that it's, it's more than that. Like it's more than just like God just puts us here and gives us a Bible and says, figure it out. He wants to give us he wants to give us vision for our lives. He wants to show us what the path is so that we don't stumble. And for us, our desire, and I just got to tell you, our desire and our deepest passion has always been this. We want to make the path 
as clear as possible at our church for people. Like we don't want it to be some obscure thing and you got to figure it out and you're wondering like what's my next step and where do I go and how do I get connected and how, like what's, we, we want to make it as clear as possible, as simple as possible. And so we decided a long time ago that our greatest honor is not to do church services. Our greatest honor and our calling is not just to host events. Our greatest calling is, is simply this, is to come alongside people on whatever, whatever path they find themselves in. If it's a path we're on the mountaintop or in the middle of a valley, if it's a path that seems like the sun is shining or there's a dark cloud over them, we want to come alongside people on their path on their spiritual journey, which by the way, we're all on a spiritual journey, even if you say you're not spiritual. We're body, soul, and spirit. You have no choice, right? So we're all on a spiritual journey and we're at different places. Some, you, you don't know who God is. You've never put your faith and trust in who Jesus is. And maybe you're here and you're seeking, and you're searching, you're trying to figure things out. Listen, this is a safe place for you. We welcome you into this place. For some of you, you've been saved for a very long time, or you've been a believer of follow Jesus for a very long time. But for every one of us, we never arrive until we close our eyes on this earth, earth and we see Jesus face to face. So there's always a step for us. But as a church, we've said, you know what? When we look throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible says a lot of things. But the Bible is pretty clear about four big things or four big buckets or big rocks that God gives us on our spiritual journey. You can see it throughout it. And we've kind of distilled it and synthesized it down to these four things. And it's, it's actually what shapes the vision of our church. We want, we want to see every single person, that's all of you, every single one of you, we want to see you do these four things. We want to see you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and there you go. You guys are so smart. I'm a part of the smartest church in the world. And I'm so grateful for it. Thank you for letting me be a part. I'm just, I, can, I can take the reputation of being a smart pastor just because I connect with you guys and you're all my family. I can have people fooled. But anyway, uh, that is our vision. And that is the path. We believe that it's outlined in scripture. I don't have time, but I could show you. It says it in many different ways. But I believe that the path of life, the path that God ha has for every single human being is that his desire is that every one of us, we would know him. Not know a church, not know a personality, some preacher, not know him through a priest, not know him through a bishop, not know him through your parents, but that we, every single one of us, we would know God personally. We would have an intimate relationship. In, in the Greek, it used the word gnosko, which simply means it's this intimate relational knowing. It's the same picture of when a man and a woman come together in covenant marriage and they know one another, if you know what I mean. No, it's intimacy. Do you know that God wants you to know him intimately? That is our desire for you. I'm so glad wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. But listen, I want you to know more than just church. I want you to know more than just some institution. I want you to know Jesus. That is my desire. And here's why it's a conviction and a deep passion of mine. Because I remember when I just knew religion. And it was worthless. It did nothing for me. But when I met Jesus, when I began to know God personally and intimately, it changed my life. It transformed my life. But that second step is finding freedom. We believe that every single person that we need to find freedom in our life, freedom from our past, a hope for our, for our future, not just free from something, but for something, that we, all of us, we have things that have happened to us, things that we have done. We have things, cycles that we fall into in our life where we need healing and freedom. And we believe that God affords that for every person. And then the third one is discovering your purpose. We believe God's got a God-given purpose for every single one of you. We wanna see you discover that purpose and we want to see you do the last thing. We want to see you make a difference. We believe that life gets so good when you stop living it just for yourself. Amen. And when you live it to make a difference for, in other people's lives. Amen?
So today, I just want to drill into the second one. Last week, we talked about knowing God, and we talked about taking that next step in baptism. Uh, we had some people talk about signing up for baptism. A few, ba- a few signed up for baptism, May the 26th. We have baptism. It's going to be a party. I can't wait. If you've never been public, uh, public, if you've never been baptized publicly for the declaration of your faith, or maybe you were when you were younger, but you say, there's something new now about my relationship with God, and you want to go public, I want to encourage you. Go to sozo.co slash baptism. Sign up for baptism. It's going to be an awesome day. But today... I want to drill down into this idea of finding freedom, finding freedom, finding freedom. I I love this. There's three kind of headings I want to give you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you where I'm going because some of you left brain people, you really like this. The price for freedom, the problem for freedom, and the process for freedom. I just want to break those down for just a moment. I read an article that said this, freedom is an idea we spend most of our lives striving to experience. The bonds of slavery to the world in any fashion choke out our ability to thrive and enjoy life. We as a culture celebrate monumental events like the fall uh, of, of Berlin, of the Berlin Wall and the global civil rights movement because why? Because we know freedom to be necessary for a life to be, to be lived at its very fullest. That's why we celebrate it. That's why we pursue it. We fight for the freedom of those held in captivity. We advocate for those silenced by the bonds of slavery. And listen, and scripture makes it clear that God is no different. I believe the reason why we as humans, Christian or not, we long for this, to to fight for the freedom of other people is because we ourselves find ourselves oftentimes fighting for our own freedom. It is woven into who we are. I believe God placed that on the inside of us to not only long for freedom for ourselves, but to long for freedom from other people. When you see someone in bondage in an unjust way, it breaks your heart as a human. If you're a a compassionate human, if you have any sense of like you're a little bit normal, when you see someone in bondage and in captivity, it breaks your heart. Why? Because God, he's woven that in us to desire freedom for ourselves and freedom for other people. Listen, freedom though, listen, it's one of the major motifs of scripture. When you look from Genesis to Revelations, one of the major themes in scripture is freedom, God's freedom for his people. It's one of the biggest themes that you see in scripture, liberty and freedom. And it's beautiful. It's part of our biblical narrative. It's pages. If you look through scripture, it's pages are filled with stories of God delivering his people from the bondage of slavery. Think about this. Jesus himself freed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. God shut up the mouths of lions to free Daniel. And we see God deliver an entire nation, the nation of Israel, from slavery under the Egyptians through an onslaught of plagues. The Bible is clear. Listen to me. The Bible is clear that God works constantly constantly he is at work with a mission to liberate and to bring freedom. Because for us to be human, for us to be his creation, it breaks God's heart when he sees us bound up and in controlling cycles and patterns that keep us and hold us down and hold us back from living our purpose. It breaks his very heart. I love what the apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter five. Look at what he says. He says, it is absolutely clear Paul says, absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. A lot of times people ask me as a pastor, I just want to know what my calling is. I want to know what my calling is. What's my calling, pastor? I'm like, your calling is to live a free life. God has called, that's like the the most fundamental, God has called you to be liberated, free, not just from something, but for something and free to be your true self and not the facade and all the layers that have been built up on you, but he wants you to be free, to reflect him and to impact the world around you. He wants you to live free. It's the call of freedom. I love, um, I love Galatians 5 and, and, and um, ch- chapter 5, verse 1 in the message. He says this, Christ 
has set us free to live a free life. It's the theme. You'll see this said in different ways all throughout the gospel. Now, let me just tell you my, my personal story with freedom is I grew up in church. You guys, a lot of you have heard me tell this story before, but I grew up in church and my, um, how many know that you can go to church and not actually like, like know Jesus? Like you can like, you, know, you, you can go to McDonald's, that make your hamburger, right? And, and so like, I, I grew up in church. I was always in church. I was religious, but I didn't really know God. And, uh, you know, my parents went through a really tough season. And, um, and at about 14, 15, I just like, man, I went off the rails. And I was trying to medicate a pain on the inside of my life. It was a pain of, of, of the brokenness of our family. There was abuse in our family. And we went through a lot. And, uh, and so I just tried to medicate that brokenness by, uh, by substance abuse and through different things. And I found myself very, very broken. I was addicted to many different drugs, uh, sexual addictions. I was addicted to approval, the approval of other people. Uh, I, I, was, I was very depressed and insecure. And my life was just, to be honest, it was just completely broken, completely shattered. My life was a mess. And part of what actually drew me to a relationship with God was, was this idea that, he, that Jesus could set you free from the things that control your life, that, it, that those things, you know, those things that you wish if they weren't there, your life would be better. And this idea that Jesus could do for me what I couldn't do for myself and set me free and liberate me, it was so attractive. And it was a long road to get there, but finally I got to the place where I was so in bondage and in this prison of slavery, slavery to sin, to destructive patterns that were killing my life, destroying my life, destroying my relationships. I finally said, something's got to change. And so I bowed my knee to Jesus and I, I, listen, I didn't have all the answers. I didn't, I didn't have all the theological nuances figured out. I just knew I needed to change. I needed to be transformed and I couldn't fix myself. I hit rock bottom and I came to Jesus. So I put my faith and trust in Jesus in 2000. So now I know God. There's the first part of the vision. I know God. I prayed the prayer, got baptized, the whole thing. But listen, now people are telling me, now you're free in Christ. And my freedom at this point became real, but it still wasn't a reality. And it was hard for me to reconcile these ideas. Wait, wait, wait. The Bible says I'm free. And yet I'm still struggling with these sexual things. The Bible says I'm free, and yet I'm still dealing with addiction. The Bible says I'm free, but I still feel enchained. Like, how do I reconcile these things? I think many people that they have a church experience, they have an experience with God, they pray a prayer, they have this spiritual encounter, and then they, they leave that moment and their life doesn't look different. And then they begin, the enemy comes in, they begin to question, was it even real? I guess that, that's, that's all that stuff is like a bunch of hocus pocus. I guess all of it is just a bunch. And, and this is what happens. And it's hard for us to reconcile these two things. And that's what I want to talk about for a little bit. How do you reconcile this idea that scripture says theologically that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that now you have a, this, this, this identity of free, you're free indeed, and yet you don't have the reality. When your identity and your reality don't line up, what do you do? And I think the Bible talks a lot about that. Um, I, I love this statement from Buffett. He says, chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. Chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. Here's the bad news is that we all need freedom. That's the bad news. And the worst news than that is that you and I, we can't provide freedom from, from our, from our, for ourselves. We just can't do it. You and I cannot cannot do it. A lot of times we think, well, I'm not in slavery. Listen, the Bible is very clear. Anything that controls you, you're a slave to. Let me ask you this question. Is there anything in your life that you feel like sometimes you, 
you, you're not in, in the, lead, the lead seat, the control seat, and it's kind of controlling you. Controls how you spend your money, controls your time, controls your thoughts. That thing may be something that is trying to enslave you. That thing may be something or things may be something that's trying to imprison you to keep you from what God's called you to do and to be. Now, here, here's the good news. The bad news is we all need freedom. Even if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, I promise you if we went around the room and we had a candid moment, every one of us have some area in our life that we need a little bit more freedom from. Every one of us. It may be attitude, it may be gossip, it may be a sexual addiction, it may be pornography. It may be, we all have something because we're all on a journey and we're all in this process of God liberate, bringing even more liberation and more freedom into our life. Our identity in Christ is that you have been set free from the power of sin, but we've got to get your reality aligning with the identity. So how do we do that? Here, here's the first thing is that's the problem that we have. And I'm going to go into that a little bit deeper in a moment. But the first thing we got to get straight is this, is there is a price for freedom. And you and I can't pay the price. We just can't pay the price. The Bible is so clear who pays it for us. First Timothy chapter 2 says there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. There's a plural, uh, little scripture for plural, pluralism right there for you if you're looking for one. There's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. Look, the man... Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. He gave his life to do what? To purchase freedom for who? For people that live in the South? No. For Republicans? No. For everyone. For every race, for every gender, for everyone, for every political part, for everyone, he has purchased our freedom. That means we all qualify for freedom. That's good news. Colossians 1 says it like this. For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Who did what? He purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Have you ever been to a restaurant before? You're with a friend and then they, they, they pay for your meal. And you're like, no, no, let me get it. And you're fighting over the bill. You're fighting over the bill. And they're like, no, let me get it. And they pay for your meal and you're grateful. You walk out. Could you imagine how dumb it would be if someone paid for your meal and then you stayed there and you would not leave until you could pay for it too? Ooh, that's a good word. Jesus has paid for our freedom. Like he's paid for it. We can't pay for it. We can't earn it. It's a gift. Freedom is a gift from God. It just is. Galatians says it like this. God sent him, Jesus, to do what? To buy our freedom. It's the picture of a slave being on a slave block and a master of a field coming by and coming up. And this is a painful memory for many people in our, in our world, but this is the picture. And I believe the scripture wanted to use this to show you. It's the picture of a master coming and paying for this slave, but not to employ them, but to actually liberate them. And it's the picture of a, of a master coming, listen, paying for it, not with money, but saying, I'll take his place. That's the gospel. The gospel is not a master coming and paying for your freedom with his money, but with his life. First Peter says, for he ransomed us from, from an empty life and he paid for us not with silver and gold, not with money, but with his own blood. He has forgiven us and he has liberated us by him himself taking our place as a slave. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin, no sin. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our place. That is the gospel, the gospel, friends. That is. That's the gospel. Feel free to clap right there. Some of you are wondering why we're clapping. It's because we were enslaved and he took our place. And we're just grateful. We're grateful for that. Jesus, he has purchased it. He's paid for it. I don't have time to go into this, but listen, he not only purchased the freedom from our sin. If you go and read 
I think it's Isaiah 50 and 53, maybe, somewhere in there. Uh, and then later on, it has this in the New Testament, New Testament about Jesus. There was a prophecy that came through Isaiah. It says, um, the one that would come, Jesus, the Messiah, it says this, he would be wounded for our transgressions. He'd be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought him peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Right, if you begin to break all these down, it's really beautiful. You look at the different wounds that Jesus experienced. I think in the Catholic Church, it talks about five wounds, but I would submit to you that there's actually, there's four main wounds and they're, they're all quite different. There's, uh, you know, there's that one wound where he's pierced with the nails through his hands and through his feet, right? You know what that represents? It represents he was pierced for our sins. And, 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 and this piercing was this, that your hands are everything that you do and your feet are everywhere that you go. And he paid for freedom from your past, but not just from your past, from your present and your future things that you will do and the places you will go. It's freedom from your sin. It's freedom from captivity. That's the first thing he did. But you know what else? The Bible says that he took those, those, the cat of nine tails, those 39 stripes. They literally were pieces of leather dipped in water. They'd have bones and rock and glass in it. And they would, they would first lash across the right tricep or, or trap. You, I have no physical physique, muscular. I don't know these muscles. Angelique, where are you at? I know she knows muscles and stuff. I have no clue. I have fat. I have no muscles. But anyway, thanks, Lord. Thank you so much. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you, Lord. Anyway, um, he would take, they would take that whip, and they went across this side. They would rip out. They, they would hit. We get this picture of like, no, it would, it would hit. It would pull down, and they rip out, and it would rip the flesh. And this is what Jesus went through for us. And it would rip his skin from here, rip it off of his body, here, here, down his back, all the way down his back across, all across here. He went through all this. And the Bible says this about him. It says he was, he was, he was wounded. So by his stripes, that wound is so that we could be, we could be healed. It's freedom, freedom in our body. This is, this is why we can actually be freed from a spirit of infirmity that makes many people sick. That's why we can pray for people, and this is powerful. We can pray for people, not because we're powerful, but because of the wounds of Jesus, the stripes of Jesus, and people can be free. Listen, I've seen it before. I had spinal meningitis, and my mother prayed that prayer over me, and I was healed. Now listen, there's some people that don't get healed. I don't understand that. We just trust God. Outcome is on him. Outlook and obedience is on us. But he was, his stripes, that's what freedom, freedom from sickness, freedom in our bodies. But then think about this. He had the crown of thorns beat into his head. You know what that is? Freedom in our mind. That is that the thoughts that torment us and trouble us, we can actually, we can actually have freedom in our mind. And I realize there's some things that are clinical and we allow doctors to do what only doctors can do. And we do the practical things that only we can do, but we let God do what only he can do. Amen. Freedom. You can have freedom from the thoughts you've had, the loneliness, the suicide, I would even say depression and anxiety. Listen, take your medicine and go see your doctors, but we can also pray the prayer of faith and say, Jesus, you purchase freedom in our mind, right? It's freedom in our mind, freedom in our body, freedom from our past, our sins, our past, present, and future sins, the things we've done, the th places that we go. But I also love this, and there's a, the fourth wound. And I gotta hurry up, but the fourth wound is this. I'm just passionate about this. Remember whenever they took that spear and they stabbed Jesus, they, they stabbed him right under here to make sure he was dead. It says that it, when it went up, that from his heart, blood and water gushed out. And, and they were checking to see if he was dead, but he had already died. And here's what he had died from. Not from the nails, not from the thorns. He died of a broken heart. It was ruptured. Literally, he died of a broken heart. I believe that that paints a picture that, that because of what Jesus purchased, our freedom, you can have freedom in your emotions. 
and the broken heart you've experienced, how he walked out or she walked out, you can experience that in your life. Amen. That's the freedom that he's given us. And that's just the reality that he, there is a price and he has paid it. And that's why Galatians says this, the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom. How? Only by believing in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. You and I both know that if you're a Christian here today, you're like, I get it. I have done that. I have believed. I put my faith in Jesus, but I'm still dealing with these things. Why do I have this new identity as being free? But again, I don't have the reality. I believe it's the last thing. It's this. Is there is a process. I just wanted to encourage you with this. I know no other way than to tell you this. That if you have given your life to Jesus and you're still dealing with the same thing you dealt with five years ago, it's not that God's not powerful. It just may be this. Maybe you haven't submitted to the process. There is a process. I begin to look at it, and, and, and this is one of my favorite scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 um, verse 17 through 18 says this, for the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So notice, watch this. Freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. Amen. So a lot of times we think that, oh, if, I get, if this sin is no longer present in my life, now I'm free. But scripture tells us, no, no, no. When the Holy Spirit comes and dwells on the inside of a person, now you're free. Now you're, your identity is you're free. You're not an addict anymore. You don't have to sit in a circle and say, my name is Jason and I'm an alcoholic. No, my name is Jason. I'm free. Now, I, I may still fall and make mistakes, but that's not who I am. Paul said it in Romans 7. He goes, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. And I'm so confused here. And he's like, but that's not me that does that. He's like, that's my old nature. There's a new nature that's in me. It's the Holy Spirit. There's your flesh and there's a spirit and there. He says in Romans 7, they're a tug of war and they're constantly fighting and they're battling. But listen to me. Freedom is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. That is the Holy Spirit in your life. That's why if you're not a Christian, I would, I would just admonish you. Man, give your life to Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit into your life. And that's where the freedom process actually begins. It's there. And he goes on, he says this. He says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Here's what he's saying. All of us have had the veil removed. That is that now we're, we're, we're followers of Jesus. We're no longer in the dark, but now we, now we see the light's been turned on for us. These, these, are, these are believers. But he goes on, he says, and this is what we know. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more. He makes us more and more. That's a progression. It's a progressive sanctification the Bible talks about. It's a progressive transformation. One translation says you go from glory to glory to glory. It gets better and better and better and better and better. He goes, with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, now you're free and he is making you more and more like what? Like him, like Jesus, as we are changed, as we are changed into his glorious image. It is the Holy Spirit's work in us that is changing us over time. Listen, if you are dealing with things in your life, I do believe, like just say you're, you're battling a, an addiction. God has the power in, the, in a moment he can set you free. I've seen him do it for people before. But I've also seen it just take time because they didn't get in a mess overnight. It was over time. And sometimes it takes time. And can I just submit to you this idea that God is patient with your process? He's got more grace than you think. He's got more power than you think. He wants to walk with you in your journey. And that's, honestly, as a church, that's our desire. Is we want to be patient with people in their process. 
We want to have grace for people on their path and on their journey. We're a church that says this. If you allow us to come alongside you and walk with you in your process, we want to do it. It is our honor to get to do that. And one of the things that I, I, would, I would share with you, Jennifer and I were talking about this. I, call it, I, I created this, and Nate actually helped me create this little design. It's called the, the Triad of Transformation. And they're going to put it up on the screen. I really believe that this is the process. At least this is the way that it's happened in my life, my wife, and different people that we see is that you need these three elements. So your identity, your status is now you're free and the process has begun of the Holy Spirit working in your life. But what does that process now look like? It's not just going to church, by the way. It's not just, it's, it's not just like praying a prayer. There is a, there's actually a process. I would probably be a better picture if, if you saw it more cyclical. It, it never stops. Like you don't, this is an event. Write this down. Freedom is not an event. It is a process. It's a process. The first part of the process is truth. You've got to have the courage to face the truth. You have to have the courage. You will never change what you're unwilling to confront and what you're willing to tolerate. Change and transformation and freedom happens when you get truth. You got to get truth. You got to find truth. How do we get that truth? I, I really believe it's, it's by the word of God. I love what John 8 says. It says, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, Jesus said, when you, he says, it's a decision you make. When you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you're my true followers. People that do not embrace the truth of God's word, sometimes they think they're questioning the authenticity of God's word. But scripture, Jesus at least said this, when you question the authenticity of my word and you don't follow it, actually what you're doing is you're, what's in question is your, your, your true Christianity. Are you really following me? You see, we have the word of God as our standard for truth. That is the standard. We believe that as a church, you may or may not. We believe that the word of God is the authority of God. We have no other authority. We have to go by the authority of God's word. And we don't, listen, we don't take God's word and bend it to fit our preferences and proclivities. We take our life and our character, our actions and our attitudes, and we bend it to fit around God's word. God, what does your word say? How does your word direct us? What are the moral and indicatives and imperatives and authority that you've given us? What is it, God? And we say, yes, whatever you say, I'll do it. There's people all the time that ask me, Jason, what's your position or opinion about X, Y, Z, whatever it may be? And I'm like, my opinion doesn't matter. All that matters is the word of God. And so I ask people, so is that your authority? And they're like, well, you know, I, I don't know. And I'm like, well, our discussion is kind of over because that's my authority and that's the only place that I, I can bank my positions. It's the truth. I just would submit to you, wherever you're at in your life, if you would just take God's word and let it be like a mirror. Say, God, would you just show me the things in me that you want to change? Give me truth. Give me truth, God. The good news is that Jesus came full of grace and truth. We live in a generation where there's churches that are full of grace and no truth, or they're full of truth and no grace. Jesus is the embodiment of both grace and truth. So he will give you a mirror and say, look, that's not right, Jason. This is wrong and out of alignment. This is sin. This is below my standard. And then he'll give you grace and say, but I still love you and I accept you. But the grace is not just to accept you, but to empower you to live above standard. That's what God does. That's grace and truth. Grace and truth. So truth, you got to get truth in the room. God's word is one place for truth. The other one is this. Just be honest with yourself. Like how many times do we know, but we won't like own it? Like, Jason, you know that you shouldn't have talked like that to your son. Jason, you know that, that you went a little off. Like we know it, but we're like, we're too prideful to admit it. Sometimes we just need to just be honest with ourselves and have the guts to say, this is out of, out of alignment in my life. Face the truth. Second one is this, is you have to have community. That's the other part of the triad. 
It's not enough just to have truth. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you this straight up. This is not enough for you just to have truth. You have got to have someone. The Bible says this, iron sharpens iron. So one man and woman sharpens the other. We need each other. God did not create this whole thing for it to be private. It's to be communal and public where we share together and we call the best out of each other. We don't just call each other out. We call each other up. And we speak truth into each other's life. We hold each other accountable. We're in community together. We encourage each other. When we fall, and you probably will, you got people around you that goes, they don't go, man, I can't believe you made that mistake again. They go, listen, let's get up. Righteous man falls down, but he gets up seven times, right? Just get up. Just hop up, shake it off, step up. Let's keep going towards Jesus. His mercy's brand new today. There's a new horizon and his mercy's brand new today. You need community that can do that. That when your faith is weak, their faith would be strong. When you're struggling in temptation, they can come alongside you. Man, when you don't want to get your butt out of bed to come to church, they'll call you and say, you better get your butt out of bed. We're going to church today, right? You need friends like that. You need community like that. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting. Okay, I got to hurry. Last one. Wait, let me give you a scripture to back it up. It's not just my opinion. James 5 says this, make this your common practice. Common practice, not rare occurrence. Common practice, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed, free, liberated. Listen, this is a church, you don't have to be perfect, but you do, I believe scripture calls you to have integrity. Integrity doesn't mean you're perfect. Integrity means you're whole. There's no duplicity. Integrity comes from, from integer, means one, it's whole. You're not one way in church and one way at work. You're not one way at church and one way at home. You're fully known, you're one. And it's in that honesty, in that transparency, that vulnerability, God brings healing and freedom and liberty. It's in community. And the last one is this, is the Holy Spirit. This is the other part of the, the triad. You gotta have truth, you gotta have community, but let me just tell you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit working in your life and you yielding to that, you don't have enough willpower, sir. Ma'am, you just, I know you're trying to like muster up the willpower to fix it. You can't even, it's not possible. You can't do it. It's only the Holy Spirit. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit that can help you. I love that scripture that we read earlier. Second Corinthians, Paul says, for the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and liberty. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the spirit, the Lord who is the spirit makes us. You don't make yourself. The Lord who is the spirit makes you. And he goes on in Galatians, Paul says it like this in verse 16, as you yield freely and fully, that's as you submit freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit. You will abandon the cravings of your life for your life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self, your life that's been dominated by sin. So then the two incompatible or conflicting forces within you uh, are your life of the flesh and the new creation, the life of the spirit. But he says, when you are brought into the full freedom, the full freedom of the spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the do uh, domination of the law, but soaring above it. And then it goes on, he says, but the fruit produced, who's it produced by? Not yourself, not your works. Notice he contrasts works of the flesh, what you can do, and the fruit of the spirit that's naturally produced from him. But the fruit of the Spirit that's produced by the Holy Spirit um, within you is divine love and all its varied expressions. Listen to me, and I'll finish with this last piece right here, is that you need that. Hopefully you took a picture of that. Remember, it's the triad. It's you need truth. First, you got to believe in Jesus. That's the ultimate truth. He is truth. You need truth. You need community. You need the Holy Spirit. Because here's why. Because 
David said it like this. He says, I was born in sin, but I was shaped in iniquity. I was born in sin, but shaped. What does that mean? Um, Best way I can illustrate this is I was born in America, which makes me an American, but I was shaped in the South, which has shaped a lot of culture that's in me and perspective that's in me. So I was born in America, which that is about my identity. But my, the South is just a, a culture that I picked up. I was shaped in the South, right? There's sometimes whenever I go to say y'all, and uh, I'm like, don't say it. People are going to look at me and be like, oh, yeah, I know where you're from. You know, so I'll back up that train a little bit. But here's what I'm saying. Watch. I, I can't change the fact that I'm American. Only an authority greater than me can change that, right? I, I can't change that. I can file for paperwork, but an authority greater than me has to change the fact that I'm an American to a different citizenship or whatever. An authority greater than me, I can't do it. But I do have the authority and the power to change the fact that I was shaped in the South culturally, the way I speak. Now, I don't plan on doing that, by the way. Right? I'm an LSU fan. I like the New Orleans Saints, but I do like the Warriors. You know. So anyway, hey. So now I'm being shaped by this culture that I'm in here. So I want you to listen to me. The only thing that can change the fact that you're a sinner, which is your identity, is an authority greater than you, which is God. Is that's who does that. But you know what? God has given you the power through the Holy Spirit to change what you've been shaped in, which is this culture. It's a culture of iniquity. It's a way of thinking, a way of doing, a way of being. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through community and through the truth of his word, you can actually listen. When you're in Christ, you're no longer a sinner. You're a son and a daughter of God. That's your new identity. You're a citizen of heaven. But what you've been shaped in is no longer who you are. It's an old practice. And now through the power of the spirit, through community and relationships, listen, and through the truth of God's word, you can be transformed and changed. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.